Pastor Ed Taylor speaks of the far-reaching, abounding grace of God. Will God forgive a prostitute? Of course. God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Even if you have years of prostitution, even if you have years of sexual sin, even if you have years of going from man to man or woman to woman, even if you've been the one that has found yourself so distant from God, being satisfied in so many different sinful ways, yes, God can forgive you as you turn away from that sin in your life. Yes. This is amazing grace. Welcome to another Abounding Grace. We'll turn things over to Pastor Ed Taylor in just a moment. Today we visit John chapter 4, where Jesus has a divine appointment with a woman from Samaria. Now, this lady, like many living today, was trying to fill a need in her life with things that could not. She's about to learn that only Christ can bring satisfaction and meet her innermost needs. Maybe that's exactly what you're in need of today. Won't you join us? as we continue to see who Jesus is and what he'll do in our lives if we'll allow him to. In his autobiography, Gandhi shared a couple instances of really discouraging interactions with the church. He noted that one Sunday as a student, he attended a Christian church with the intention to ask the pastor about salvation and other Christian doctrines. But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to offer him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. And Gandhi determined in that moment that if Christians had a caste system, he might as well remain a Hindu. Not only that, in another reflection, Gandhi said that He described another Christian congregation as not being particularly religious that he visited. Instead of being devout souls, the congregation appeared to be worldly-minded people going to church for recreation in conformity to custom. Again, Gandhi concluded that this type of religion could be of no service to him. And so he, he walks in, such an influential man, who had the opportunity of the Holy Spirit through the church to really minister to him. And who knows what could have happened. But instead, he he reflects upon the prejudice of one congregation and the worldliness of another congregation. He says, I don't need it. There's not much difference. How important it is where we need to, to remember, not only do we need to go where the people are, like Jesus coming to the well, but we also need to go with an open heart, not to prejudge them when we get there. Or even before. I wonder how many times we avoid Samaria in our own life because we've already prejudged a community or prejudge the people in our own backyard. As many people have that attitude toward our own city. It's like, oh, you know, Aurora, and they have all the names and all the things. Oh, you know, that side of Denver or that. You know what? Enough with it. There are precious people that need Jesus. Enough with all that nonsense. Lay your life down on the, on the altar of Jesus. Give yourself a living sacrifice, and you won't care where you go. Now, you may walk with wisdom. You may be careful, but you don't care. You're going to go with the confidence that that's where God wants you. Why? Because the people are there. Why did John the Baptist 
baptized in that particular region of the Jordan. Do you remember? Because there was much water. So if you're going to share the gospel, where do you need to go? Where the people are. <laughs> well, but they're in Samaria. Well, then I got to go to Samaria. That's where I got to go. That's Jesus' heart here. Verse 7. So Jacob's well there. It's about the sixth hour, it says, in verse 6. About in the, hot, the heat of the afternoon. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She understood the complexity and the unpredictability of this man being at the well talking to her. Because it wasn't just, she wasn't just a Samaritan. She was a woman. And unfortunately in society in that time, women were looked down upon. Women were looked as if, well, the legalism of the day that dictated that, well, the weird legalism of the day dictated that if a rabbi saw a woman, he was to cover his eyes. And it wasn't uncommon for some of these Pharisees to be bumping into walls and tripping and falling down because they were covering their eyes and didn't see because they didn't, oh, I don't know, I don't, can't see a woman, I don't, whoa, whoa, you know, it's like, oh, rabbi, get with it, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? But I wonder in a spiritual sense if we're doing the same thing with some weird legalism, some weird rules that we've made up, alienating the very people that God has called us to serve. They looked down upon the the women in such a way where they saw no value on them. It was a cold, dead, legalistic religion. And just to show us that Jesus wanted to break through that false teaching of the day, he goes to Samaria to speak with a Samaritan woman. But not only that, she was an immoral woman. That's what she was known for. I don't think she was too popular either. I mean, I know the women didn't like her because she was a husband stealer. She was with people's husbands, going from man to man to man, and not, you know, I don't want my husband anywhere near her. So I know we we also get a hint that she wasn't popular with the women because she came to the well at a time when no other women would go in the heat of the day. They usually went in the cool of the evening to get their water, and there is a hint to me to see her go, like, here she is in the heat of the day, the worst part of the day. Nobody's there but her and Jesus. The other women would come later. And Jesus just breaks all the stereotypical molds of what a religious person looks like and how careful we need to be. We need to be more like Jesus and less like religious people. That the Lord would just infuse in us. That we make our decisions uh, based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit and not some external religious code. And that's what he does here. She had everything against her and she realizes, whoa, this is something special. Do you know who you're talking to? (laughs) Like, I must, you know where you're at? And you're asking me for a cup of water? And Jesus says, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing with, to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? This is really interesting because the first two instances that Jesus is talking to someone, they don't get it. You remember Nicodemus? You must be born again. 
How do I get back into my mother's womb? I don't understand. (laughs) And then here, hey, give me a drink. Well, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink because I could really hook you up. You'll never be thirsty ever again. And you're like, wait a minute. There's a well here. You don't have anything to draw with. I, I don't understand. And yet, let me show you something. This is what Jesus is doing all through this section. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. This is so cool. This is what Jesus is doing and something you and I need to learn how to do as well. Check this out. It says in verse 5, Counsel is in the heart of man is like deep water. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. That's what Jesus is doing right here. He's drawing out of her the deepest issue in in her life. And he's not quite there yet. He's just working with her. Some people look at this and go, well, you know, he's kind of being mean or he's kind of... No, 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 no. He's a wise man drawing out counsel and sometimes things just need to take time and here you can see him do it in a very quick time but she's all religious she's you know what about the well this is jacob's well are you greater than jacob he's talking to jesus and if he really wanted to have fun with her he could have said yeah i'm greater than jacob i made him you know i'm greater than his livestock i own the cattle on a thousand but that's that's not his that might be you but that's not him he's not that's not how he is he's he's hey he's just letting her express herself which is always good we want to be careful we're sharing the gospel ministering to people we need to let people express themselves remember this when you're building a bridge because that's what he's doing he's building a bridge he's using water to build a bridge He's using water. That's what he's doing here. Did you notice that? That's how he's talking. That's what he's doing. He's just using water as an illustration to get her attention. They're at the well and water and using it as living waters. We'll see in a moment. He's using water. Like, like notice what he does. He uses water to take her from the well to salvation where he says in verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Of course she's thirsty. She's thirsty physically, but she's also thirsty spiritually. But the water I give will become in him a fountain of water spring up into everlasting life. We, we often refer to this as living water. The Jews would refer to living water as any movement of water, like from a spring or a fountain, not water that was in a cistern that wouldn't move and would just be there and become stagnant if it was there too long. So Jesus is using water and, and he's building a bridge. And remember this when you build a bridge, there's two reasons why you build a bridge. Number one, you build a bridge so you can go over to the other person. That's why you, you're building a bridge. So you're learning about what they're into and what they're... T- That's why, you know, for me, for me I'm, I'm, I don't have the brain capacity anymore to keep up with sports. But I really do try to keep up with most sports because that seems to be a way that you can really connect with people really fast. Like, like in Denver, there's a football team here, right? Right? There's the Broncos, right? So you guys know that? You didn't, did you know there was a team in Denver? So I like to know about the Broncos, and I'm talking to someone and just trying to connect about sports. And they go, oh, are you a Broncos fan? They go, oh, yeah, I'm a Broncos fan. Well, you really need to get saved. Now I understand. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just... But I do like to keep up with the Broncos or the Rockies, even though, well, I do like to keep up with them. And because, because that's a way I can, and maybe it's your hobby that you just into something. And as you're able to use it, maybe it's just water. And water becomes that picture of thirst and living water. But what, whatever you're into, you want to learn what other people are into too so you can build a bridge. You want to get to them. You want to get to them. And the second reason why you're building a bridge is you want to bring them back with you. You're not, build, you're not blowing up bridges. You go and just like, bam, 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 you're a sinner and you're never going to get saved. See ya. 
I'm just like, that's not building a bridge or, you know, that, that's just like, you know, being judgmental and even prejudiced and like, you could never be saved and look what you're into. But you're like, no, no, I want to learn. I want to be able to connect with you because I'm going to come over that bridge and, and I'm going to develop a friendship with you and I'm going to develop a connection with you. And, and God will put people in my life so that while I do develop that friendship, friendship is not only to be enjoyed, it's to bring people to the cross. The people that they trust. You know, people come to church primarily because a friend invited them. A friend, somebody, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody they're connected with. So God has put friendships in you, not just for you to enjoy, but for you to bring people to Jesus. That's what he's doing here. He's, he developed a friendship with this immoral woman like that. I, come, I mean, this is something, man, I just like, wow, Lord, that is awesome. I'm very encouraged. I'm very impressed. I know it's an understatement, but for me personally, I'm very impressed with this episode in the life of Jesus that really ministers to my heart about connecting with people no matter what their story is. This, this last week on the live radio broadcast on Calvary Live, I answered the question, but it actually came in as a text, an anonymous text, from a gal that asked a very simple question. And for her, it was not so simple, but for us, it is. And she just simply put up there, I don't, want, don't use my name, don't, tell me, you know, don't use my area code, don't, tell me, don't say where I'm from. And then she said, will God forgive a prostitute? Because I've been one for a long time, and I need to leave. What she needed was not a theological answer. And just break down forgiveness and the level of the blood of Jesus and what this looks like and justification and sanctification and all the things. She did, she, what, that wasn't a theological question for her. It was a personal question. And the answer to the personal question is, of course. God loves you so much he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Even if you have years of prostitution. Even if you have years of sexual sin. Even if you have years of going from man to man or woman to woman. Even if you've been the one that has found yourself so distant from God, being satisfied in so many different sinful ways, yes, God can forgive you as you turn away from that sin in your life. Yes. And we can get into the theology of it later, but the practicality of it is, is God's love is so great that he'll cover even those sins. Even those sins. You look at your life right now, you go, Ed, you haven't mentioned my sin yet. Even that sin. Even that sin. The one you carry. Do you want to know something about this woman that we learned from the text? Well, before we do, we've got to get to the verse, so let's get to it. Notice in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst, nor come here to draw. So she's still in the practical realm. Like, if you're going to give me living water that I never have to thirst again, I want it now. And Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. Whoa. Now Jesus is getting right to the point. Go call your husband. And come on, come back, bring him back. And notice what she says. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. That, that's, I believe, Jesus' way of saying, I know you. I know everything about you. I already knew. It, it's like when God will reveal something to us. He says, he, he's drawing out from us, not because he lacks knowledge, but because we need to confess it. I have no husband. Yeah, I know. I know not only that, but notice what he says. He says, I know you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, verse 18, and the one whom you have now is not your husband, in that you truly spoke. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now we're getting spiritual. Man, you know something that nobody... But, but here's the thing I've learned about her. Jesus puts his finger on the spiritual issue of the thirst in her life, but I started thinking, you know, this woman would come to the well every day with all this in her heart. She carried this around. 
She carried the five husbands and the man-to-man and all the things that aren't mentioned here. She carried the fact that she's shacking up with a guy and she knows it's not right. Even within, within Samaria, it's not the right thing to do, but that's what she's doing. And she carries these burdens around. And unless you're open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you're going to miss the woman at the well that's carrying around this burden of sin in her life and has been for who knows how long, her whole life. You know, the Bible speaks of the eyes being the window of the soul. And that's why it's so important to be able to have that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and just be looking people in the eye. Because you never know the Holy Spirit go boom and give you a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom to draw out. Jesus isn't trying to bust her. She's already busted. She's been busted every day she wakes up. And every night when she lays her head down, she knows how far she is from God. Jesus isn't busting her. He's freeing her. And there's a big difference on how you address these sins in people's lives. You know, you don't need a preacher preaching at you all the sins in the world. As soon as I mention the word, for some of you, immediately things pop up in your mind. Why? Because the Spirit of God has been drawing you to himself for a long time. You know, sometimes you make it a pastor thing. Well, you know, that pastor this, he's pounding the pulpit. And you know, I haven't even pounded the pulpit once yet, so you can't use that one. <laughs> or, or he's talking about sin. Yeah, we have to. We have to talk about sin. You know why? Because Jesus came to die for sin. And because he came to die for sin, you can be free and released. Jesus can look at you in the eye and go, I know you don't have a husband. I know you have been with five men. I know how hurt you are. I know the brokenness of your life. And I'm still offering you living water. You know, it's not water that saves. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves. Water comes after blood, not the other way around. By blood relationship. And so the woman perceives he's a prophet, and then he, she gets into another dialogue of, of spirituality. Our fathers worshipped, verse 20, on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. So there's a stern word. You don't know the truth. But we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Of course the Bible says that. The salvation came to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. But, verse 23, the hour is coming and it is right now. So he brings it right into the moment when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. So even with her all messed up theology, she still knows that God's going to send a deliverer. I love that. There's just things people know, you know, especially in our culture where a lot of people grew up in the church as kids and all those Sunday school lessons, all the golden rule, it's all in the heart of people. They just get older and kind of push it away and you want to find the way to tap some of those things to say, you remember what you learned when you were a kid, how much God loves you. Well, he hasn't changed. So she knows Messiah's coming and, and, and when he comes, he will tell us all things and I love verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. Now, you notice the word he is in italics. It's not in the original. Uh, We're we're not going to get in. There's two things that we're not going to develop today, but we will at a future time. The first one is all about worship, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And the other one we'll develop at a later time are the I am statements all throughout the book of John. Pretty powerful. Associating us back to the time in Exodus when Moses was asking, who should I say sent me? You tell him I am sent you. And so Jesus is claiming here to be God. And he will many times. But sufficient for our time today 
is to be reminded of the three things that Jesus revealed to this woman. It's the same three things that we're telling the world today. Number one, Jesus was revealing to her who he is. Number two, Jesus revealed to her what he had to offer, living water, salvation. And thirdly, he revealed how she could receive it. That's the gospel. That's the presentation of the gospel in a very simple way. Hey, who he is, what he has to offer, and how to get it. And I believe that if people knew these three things, I think they would believe in Jesus, that they would commit their life to him, to know who God is, to know that they need him, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection power of Jesus, and then how to receive it, to admit that you're a sinner, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess him with your mouth, and determine to live for him, turning away from your sinful past. That today, if that's your desire, you can experience complete satisfaction, Jesus style. And I hope he encourages you in the highways and the byways of life, especially as we come now to a time of communion and we we think about what Jesus has done in our own life, his sufficiency and his faithfulness, that the Lord would use you not to just write people off because where they came from or what they look like. What a horrible sin that divides man from man to prejudge them and to live in prejudice, but rather to be open of the work of the Holy Spirit that will go anywhere to anyone with the glorious gospel of Jesus, no matter what people think, no matter how they respond, no matter what they say or what their opinion is. You know, you've learned this, haven't you? That everyone has an opinion. Have you noticed that yet? Anybody? Are you guys with me still? Everyone has an opinion, but only God's opinion matters. We'll stick to that. Amen? This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is our Bible teacher and the pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime of the day or night at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. Well, Pastor Ed, it's not hard to see. There are so many troubled hearts in the world this very day. And like we learned today, it's important that we go to God for the help we so desperately need. And that's emphasized in a book that you've written called God's Help for the Troubled Heart. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Yes, Larry. I'm so grateful to have been able to put into words uh, the, the hope that I found and that I currently find in Jesus Christ. You know, the book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart, was birthed after the death of our son. You know, Marie and I, uh, we lost our son back in 2013. I mean, even using that phrase, lost, we didn't lose him. We know where he is, but our son died uh, pretty uh, dramatically and tragically, and, and just unfortunately, it just probably didn't have to happen that way. And, and after that, I just thinking about whether I'd be back in ministry or not and struggling with that. When I did come back and start teaching, it was just sad. You know, it was a difficult season. Uh, and I felt like the Lord, after a, a year or so, the Lord says, you need to let the church off the hook. Like, like you need to talk about the grief and difficulty and, and point them to me. And that's when I started a series of Bible studies, looking at episodes in the lives of God's people, of how they went through great difficulty, but also found a great God. And that's really the essence of it. It's not my life story. It's not uh, a chronicling of what happened to our son. It is a book that get your that, that is designed to get your eyes back on the Lord, exactly how God 
did it with me. And the best way I know how, the only way really I know how is to teach Bible studies. I'm not an author, um, but I, I, I can uh, be used of God to teach Bible studies. And so I taught this series of Bible studies and then we edited them into book form. And I really encourage you to pick this up. It's not a grief book, by the way, even though that's what was the catalyst in my life. It's not a grief book. It's a hope book. It's a book that speaks of God's help and God's hope in very difficult times because difficult times, they they create in us, uh, you know, troubled hearts. It's just the way it is. I I like that phrase. It's just troubled hearts met by a faithful God. And I'd encourage you to get a copy for you, get a copy for your friend. Uh, You can get them, you know, through the ministry here. Uh, We have a store, calvaryco.store. All the proceeds go to missions or wherever you get books, or you want to support Abounding Grace, um, just get it. And, you know, if you can't afford it, email me directly, and we'll love to help you. Uh, you know, it's I just want you to be encouraged and strengthened. And so if you're unable to afford it, just email me directly, ed at edtaylor.org, and we'll make sure we get you a copy and encourage you in the Lord. Uh, I know that he will, and he'll be faithful to cover all the costs. We'll gladly send you a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart by Ed Taylor if you call us right now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. Well, that's going to do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will again open the Gospel of John in search of abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.